This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 101 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. Now that most of our fall and winter hunting seasons have wound down and we are putting away our waders and we might be putting away all of our deer accessories and gadgets that we used a couple months ago when we were hunting, a thought keeps coming to my mind. Why do we do this? If you are a big game hunter like white-tailed deer, it's hard. You have to know your animal that you're hunting. You have to learn all about the animal itself, the habitat in which they live, whether they are a predator animal or a prey animal, such as a bear versus a white-tailed deer. You need to learn their biology. You need to learn when is the best time to hunt them. When are they in mating season or breeding season? What are their favorite foods? Where do they like to sleep? What habitat do they like to be in? Where do they live? Do they like to be in arid deserts or do they like to be in thick brush? Or are they a water species? Do you like to hunt alligators? We need to learn a lot about the resource. We need to learn about the area in which they live and the best means in which to go about hunting them. We also need to do a lot of research on the types of firearms that are the best used for that particular animal. Not only do you have to do your research of what type of firearm, but you need to practice. So it's frustrating to me going to the gun range, which by the way, I frequent my range year round because you can never be 
proficient without practice. So when I go to the gun range, especially in the fall, before deer season, for example, and you can't get a bench on the long range table because everybody woke up on September, October 1st and said, oh my gosh, I've got four weeks before deer season. So not everybody's like that, but a lot of hunters are. Why aren't they practicing year round? Why aren't they having their firearm out and handling it more than just a month before season actually starts. You need to know your equipment. You need to know it so well that you can do it with your eyes closed. Not only do you need to know how to handle your equipment safely and be comfortable and confident with it, you need to know which ammunition performs best in the firearm that you're shooting. You should try different types of ammunition, different grain weights, different bullet types, different velocity, all the different factors of the many different kinds of ammo out there to see which performs best in the firearm that you're going to be using. Then we get into the accessories and gadgets. What do you need to do to be a safe hunter? What are the laws? what is required in the state or province or country that you might be hunting. Do you have to have blaze orange? Does it have to be a solid blaze orange or can it be um, broken, such as a camo blaze orange? Some states it requires it has to be solid, whereas other states you can have a broken pattern on your blaze orange. You need to know the rules and regulations and those laws for whichever area that you're hunting to make sure that you are a compliant hunter and are doing everything you can to follow the laws. Speaking of laws, you need to do your research and find out what the laws are on whichever species that you're going to be hunting. What are the season dates? What are the legal means and method of take of that animal? Can you use muzzle loaders or black powder? Can you use handguns or is it rifle only? Are shotguns allowed? If shotguns are allowed, what type of ammunition do you have to use? You have to use slugs, but what type of slugs? So there's so many different layers when you start to do research on a a particular type of species or an area to go hunting, that it's your responsibility to know. If you're out there in the field and you get checked by a game warden or a conservation officer and you didn't know, ignorance is no excuse to the law. You're still going to get a ticket if you broke the law. There's no excuse for not doing your research and not finding out and not knowing So if you don't know, ask. Find out from the local hunting store or from a circle of friends or family that does this type of hunting. Ask those questions to make sure that you get as much knowledge and education as you can so you can be on top of and compliant with the laws. So how are you going to hunt? Are you going to do public hunting? where you can find out the areas that allow public hunting and walk on? Or are you going to find a hunting lease where you have to pay to have permission and 
access granted to allow to get onto that property to hunt. Are you going to go with a friend or a family member to get invited onto somebody's property to hunt and have different opportunities? So all of these different ways, there's still a procedure that you need to follow, whether it's through public lands or private hunting opportunities. If you're hunting private, you should have some type of a written agreement, whether it's a written lease agreement or whether it's written permission to be hunting in the area that you have been granted permission. You always want to make sure that if you are stopped by a law enforcement officer, that you do have proof that you are where you're supposed to be. The other thing to consider is all of your clothing and gear. Depending on where you're going to be hunting and the time of year determines what type of clothing that you will need. Are you going to be hunting in warmer temperatures or really cold temperatures? Do you need to consider moisture wicking materials or what do you need to do to layer up to stay warm? Also, the type of environment that you're going to be hunting. If you are going to be hunting where there's snow, green and brown camouflage is not going to do you very well. You're going to need to find the matching camouflage and the matching clothing to match whatever environment that you're going to be hunting. There are definitely patterns of camouflage that blend in the snow. There's patterns that blend in more of a desert area. And there's patterns that blend in more of a wooded and green area. So make sure that just because you're going to be deer hunting and need camo, what does that mean? There's so many additional layers to that than just going off the shelf and buying whatever your definition is of a camouflage shirt or hat or jacket match it up to the area that you're going to be. Hunting takes a lot of planning. Obviously, if you're going to be doing a destination type of a hunt or a species that you've never done before, or you have the opportunity to travel across the state or into other states or even countries, it usually takes at least one to two years to plan for a successful trip. Sometimes if you are hunting with an outfitter or a guide, They book out one to two years in advance or even further than that. You need to also have your airfare if you're going to be flying. If you're not flying and plan to drive to your destination, you need to consider what the laws are about transporting firearms across state lines or even into other countries. If you are flying, what are the regulations for checking on your firearms and ammunition? There is a lot of additional research that you need to do before you decide to go on your trip to make sure that you're compliant in the laws in whichever method of transportation or means of hunting that you plan to pursue. Then when you figure out how you're going to get to where you're going, how are you going to stay? Are you staying at a resort? Are you staying at a hunting lodge with family or friends? Are you tent camping? Or if you're going on a packaged guided trip, maybe all of that has already been taken care of for you. Those are the questions that need to be asked well before your trip. Then you have the cost. Not only the cost of the trip itself, but the cost of your firearms and maintenance, the cost of ammunition, what licenses that you need, whether it's in-state or out-of-state, 
Do you need any special permits or tags or stamps? What about when you actually do get your animal, there's a processing fee? Are you going to have the animal processed at the location where you are? Or are you going to transport the animal back home? What are the regulations for transporting game across state lines? And then there's taxidermy. If you shot a really awesome trophy or something that is special to you that you want to mount, how are you going to handle the taxidermy? Are you going to get it taken care of locally wherever you may be hunting? Or do you have your favorite taxidermist back home that you need to consider how you're going to get your animal to them? If you're able to access the place that you're going to be hunting before the actual hunt, it would be great that you can get onto that property and do some scouting. Find out where those game trails are. Find out where the animals are bedding down, where they're feeding, where they're drinking, and learn about their habitat throughout the year. Depending on where you're hunting, you may also have permission to feed. If you're in an area or a state that allows you to feed year-round, that is one more thing you can do to plan for your next season's hunt. It's your responsibility as a hunter to keep current and on top of these changing rules and regulations every single year. Just because you're on top of them for this season doesn't mean it's going to be the same next season. It's your job to do your research and either download the latest regulations from your state agency, and agencies will usually have this information on the current license year hunting rules and regulations posted on their website, and they also sometimes have a book that you can pick up, usually free of charge, and usually when you purchase your hunting license, you are issued a copy. And some agencies actually have an app that is their hunting and fishing rules and regulations. For example, here in Texas, we have an outdoor annual app. Once you download that app to your device, the updates happen all the time in your background. So if something changes during the year or to the next year, if a bag limit or a county or a season or something changes, those changes are pushed directly to your app during your next update. The other cool thing about the app here in Texas is that it downloads directly to your device. So if you are hunting in the middle of nowhere where you have no cell service and no Wi-Fi or no data, the app is still on your device and you can still open it up, find out your location, and you're still able to read all about the area that you are and the rules and regulations to keep you legal. Now let's say you're interested in duck hunting. You still are going to have to learn about the different types of clothing and gear and accessories of what it takes to be a successful and illegal duck hunter, but you may have one additional feature to duck hunters, and that's a dog. A lot of duck hunters will invest more time and more money in their hunting dog than they do anything else. Now we're talking about finding that right species of dog to match the type of duck hunting that you're doing. We're talking about getting those dogs trained, whether it be investing the time yourself and working with your dog to train them 
how to listen to your commands, whether it be hand gesture commands or whether you train them with a whistle or whether you send them off to a school and pay a lot of money for them to be trained by somebody else. So there's a lot of investment when you have a dog for duck hunting. Also, you need to learn how to blow a duck call. It does not come natural to a lot of people. It's a skill. It's an art. So put the time and put the effort into learning how to do that if you're going to go duck hunting and be a good duck hunter. Then you need to consider, are you hunting over water? Do you need to invest in a boat, in a truck, in a trailer? All the things that go along with that. What size motor do you need? What size motor is legal for the certain areas that you might be hunting? Duck hunting has specific accessories that go with duck hunting, such as waders and shell pouches and marsh stools and all the different gadgets that go along with being safe and legal in the water while you're enjoying your sport. Then what if you venture into pheasant hunting or any upland bird hunting for that matter? Again, every species that you might be interested in hunting is going to have their own set of accessories and different rules and regulations for the area that you're hunting and the type of game that you're pursuing. Same with duck hunting, pheasant hunters also invest heavily in dogs. There's different types of pointing dogs that help the hunter while in the field. So you get my point. Whatever it is that you're interested in pursuing, whether it be big game or small game or birds, migratory or upland, whatever the species, whatever the season, you have to do your research. You have to do your homework in order to stay legal, to stay safe, and to follow the rules and regulations for not only the animal that you're hunting, but the location where you will be hunting. Nobody wants to be checked by a game warden and have them be issued a citation for not knowing the law. There's a lot of homework, a lot of research, a lot of time, and even more money that's invested in everything that we do around hunting. So why do we do it? Why do we do it for just one shot if you're deer hunting or just maybe four or five or 10 shots if you're duck hunting or pheasant hunting? Why do we do it? Why do we dedicate so much time, money, effort, research, and space to store all of this stuff? Why do we do it? We are a family of six, and all six of us are hunters. We all have hunted the same things. We've hunted the same types of animals. We've all deer hunted, duck hunted, pheasant hunted, alligator hunted. We've done all different types, my husband and I and our four boys. And that means we have six times of everything. We have six times of waders. We have six times of super heavy jackets, rubber boots, heavy snow boots, all the accessories that go along with hunting and pursuing. We have that multiplied by six. And then some because the boys, as they grow, they grow out of and into more. And yeah, it's just a huge cycle of investment and 
and just stuff. We have bins upon bins of hunting stuff. So as I look into my closets and say, look at all this stuff that we're so blessed having, why do we do it? Why do we do it is when we're actually out there on a hunt. We're standing in the middle of a marsh at four o'clock in the morning, shivering because it's 30 degrees out and we're waiting for the ducks to fly. Why I do it? Because I look to my left and right and I'm standing there with my kids. They're learning these skills and they're learning the passion that I have and hopefully it's being instilled in all of them to pass on to future generations. Sitting in a deer blind with my youngest, who was drawn for a youth hunt for two full days from well before sunup till sunset, waiting and waiting for the anything, for that matter, to walk by the blind. Um, and we didn't see a thing. It was hot. It was sticky. It was humid. But we spent all those hours together in that small confined space of a deer blind, having fun, you know, snacking all day, whispering and giggling and doing whatever we did in the blind. That's why we do it. As much as I can't stand it when people say, that's why we call it hunting. You don't always have to get something to be successful. It really is true. We did not see a thing that weekend that Luke and I hunted and he was on the youth hunt in that deer blind. It was a grueling weekend, but we had so much fun together, camping away from home, just he and I. It truly wasn't about what animals that he shot, but it was about the whole experience. If you've never done it, you can't really explain to somebody what that's like to actually be out in nature and to watch the world around you wake up with the sunrise and watch everything, you know, go back to bed at sunset. It's a cool experience. And I think that's a big reason of why we do it. It's about those family times and traditions. It's about passing on your knowledge and your skill and your stories to the next generation. It's getting back to camp, whether you're staying in an RV or you're staying at a friend's house or you're staying in a a tent. It's about fixing dinner under the stars around your campfire, listening to somebody who brings their guitar, playing favorite songs and cowboy songs and singing along and just laughing and having a good old time. It's about sitting around that campfire for hours upon hours, just watching the flame and telling stories. And before you realize it, the night has gone and it's super late and it all happened way too fast. It's taken that break from your daily grind, whether you have such a routine back at home where you have a day job or small children or you're taking care of family members. It's just taking that break, getting out into nature and doing something that you truly love and sharing those memories with people around you. No matter what your why is on why you do it, everybody has a why. When you look deep into the next hunting season or the next trip that you go on, think about how much time you've invested into that trip just on the travel expenses alone. 
just on the road stops at your local Bucky's or buying ice, how much money we spend on ice on a hunting trip. Think about how much you've learned about the rules and regulations of the particular animal that you're hunting or how much you've spent on your firearm, your optics, the ammunition, binoculars, spotting scopes, feeders, whatever it is that you've invested into that experience, think about, or maybe you shouldn't put a pencil to it to start adding and calculating how much you've actually spent, but think about how much that you've invested into this passion that you have, and you really can't put your finger on one answer why you do it. It's a lifetime of experiences and a lifetime of memories that you've come up to this point, and hopefully you're sharing with your loved ones and can pass on for many, many more generations to come. In sharing some of my crazy hunting adventures with some of my non-hunting friends and family, the question always comes up, especially when I talk about some of the more extreme hunts, such as, you know, hunting up in the Texas panhandle when the wind chills are in the single digits, or pheasant hunting for several days in a row and hiking those pheasant fields and clocking anywhere from 12 to 15 miles on my Fitbit each day, or standing in the middle of a swamp when duck hunting and the temperatures are just a little bit too warm for comfort when you consider you're in the same habitat as cottonmouths or alligators, the question comes up, you know, why do you do this? Why? What would possess you to take time off and travel this many hours and all this gear and expense and money and time off and things like that? And it dawned on me, you know, even trying to explain it and as excited as I got about these different experiences, the person I was telling it to, you know, kept curling their nose up going, that's not exciting to me, or that doesn't make me, you know, want to go do that with you. But you just, you just realize that I just realized that you can't really explain this to somebody who's never done it or has no desire to do it. All I can hope for is that person sees how passionate I am about whatever it is I'm talking about, hunting or being in nature or camping or whatever it is I'm doing. Hopefully they see that level of passion and excitement that I have and they will want to understand that as well. So we may not take a brand new hunter who's got zero experience and submerge them into a swamp with alligators right out of the chute. But maybe we'll start with something a little bit easier to ease them into the experience. Maybe we go when weather conditions are very comfortable, and you don't need a lot of gear or accessories, or you just take those baby steps to get somebody excited and introduced into the outdoors. There is a world of theory and a world of science behind it, how to get somebody outdoors and excited about these opportunities that you yourself may do or share or have a passion and want to relay that to somebody new. I find my why every time I have an opportunity to be on a hunt, to be guiding on a hunt or helping a new person hunting, or I'm out in nature for any reason. I always find my why, and it doesn't take long. 
usually just getting myself out of the city and getting to my destination, wherever that may be. And all I have to do in the evening is look up and see the stars, which I do not always get to see under the bright city lights in Houston, getting out of the city and just looking up. Sometimes that's as simple as my why, because there is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters and making memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo, and you've heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day.